This is for Report 80 on Monetized Open Source. Let's start by talking about why this topic matters. Open source gives creators and companies flexibility and the ability to prevent platform risk. And monetization makes these public goods sustainable. The problem is that when you're working with a closed source company, you have little to no recourse when it comes to vendor lock-in or rent-seeking behavior. And just an example here, if we think about Oracle, the database provider, if they raise prices or don't listen to your feature requests, it's too bad because the switching costs of changing your database, such a core dependency of your business, are high and you can't touch the code to implement your own feature requests. And what monetized open source projects give us is that some or all of the code is free. We have the ability to change it and the creators of this open source project or the maintainers of this open source project are monetizing in other ways via services, offering premium features with the dual licensing model, advertising, donations, and more. In the report, you can find examples of monetized open source projects from WordPress to Plausible to Elastic, Medusa, Builder, and many more. The first prediction is that monetized open source projects will become more ambitious. And we see this with Airtable alternatives such as NoCodeDB and BaseRow. There's also an alternative to Zapier and Integramat, as well as a Shopify alternative. We'll also see a move towards user-owned networks, where in the past, privately-owned networks have been one of the most effective ways to generate wealth. And NFX, the venture fund, says that 70% of value in tech has been driven by network effects. And we can look at Facebook and Amazon as examples of this. And what's changing here is that the value from user-owned networks is still there, but it's accruing to network participants as well as network principles. In fact, the participants are the principles. And LooksRare is a recent example of this where they've emerged as an OpenSea alternative. So network effects will remain powerful, but where that value accrues will change. We're also seeing that NFT projects are adopting Creative Commons licensing where they're waiving ownership rights to the project. They have minimal royalties. And what they're thriving on is this idea of legitimacy and social consensus. We'll also see smart contract developers opt for battle-tested smart contracts from top protocols, where the stakes of getting this wrong are very high, where you have to think about security a lot. And if you have a top protocol that's used and there's a lot of value locked in this contract, then that's effectively a living honeypot in terms of if there was a vulnerability that was known, then that would have already been exposed. So if you use that contract, fork that contract, you've effectively inherited the security of that contract, assuming that you don't make material changes beyond variables, such as the name of the contract or the number of tokens. Another prediction is that new types of moats will come from open source projects. So we have ZK Sync, which is a scaling solution for layer ones. And what we've seen with rollups, which ZK Sync enables, is that the more people that use this technology, the faster and cheaper that transactions become. So you have multiple implementations of rollups. And the fact that this scaling effect or network effect is a bit of a scaling and network effect that these rollups have, at least to winner take most effects. And you can look to Immutable X and also ZK Money to see how this is playing out in reality. On to opportunities, where the first opportunity is to counterposition if you have a monetized open source project. And we can look to Shopify versus Medusa here, where it becomes hard for Shopify 
to at this point in their life cycle shift to say, hey, we're going to become an open source project if Medusa proves to be a formidable competitor. And this idea of counterpositioning is that you enter the market with such a positioning that you make it hard for incumbents to mimic your strategy because they have to cannibalize their existing business. And again, Shopify has developed such a large subscription base of paying Shopify users for the core that they provide. What are the chances that at this point in their life, they will sacrifice that revenue by open sourcing that model? Another opportunity is to permissionlessly contribute to open source projects. I often talk to people and they may have complaints about requirements for entry level positions in tech. And the great thing about open source is that you can build a portfolio and find job opportunities by contributing to these projects. And Laszlo Block, the former VP of people operations at Google, mentioned that the number of Google employees without a college education are actually increasing. Another opportunity is to use open source alternatives to avoid platform risk, vendor lock-in and rent seeking behavior, where we talked about this at the opening. But the great thing again is that with this code that you can fork, change, self-host, if a player such as Oracle raises prices, you have more recourse where you could self-host or a change to implement feature requests that you may have. And we'll talk about this later, but there's actually a paradox here, which I'll call the forking paradox, which is that the easier that it is for you to fork a project and self-host a project and change the code, the less that you will need to do that because there's more of a power equilibrium. You could also look at turning complaints from users that you may get into pull requests. So we're used to making a lot of feature requests, especially with closed source projects. But when the code is open source, you can turn those complaints into contributions. And this is also a great way to augment your dev resources on your team with open source contributions. A point here that I like to make is that if you accept open source contributions, it would be great to actually keep those contributions in the free open source tier, where we'll talk about this later in terms of risk, but it could lead to backlash if you move features from the free open source tier into the paid proprietary tier. There's also an opportunity to sell digital products that extend open source ecosystems, where we're used to in WordPress that if you're building a new WordPress site, then you'll need a theme and there are paid themes and there are free themes and the same applies to Ghost, which is another monetized open source project. You could also look at building paid plugins to go back to WordPress where there are free and paid plugins. Some of the top paid plugins include WP Rocket, Thrivelys, and VaultPress. We could also look at productized services, which we did a report on productized services in the past, but let's look at a few here where WP Buffs, they offer hosting as well as maintenance for WordPress sites. Gloat also offers one-time services such as installations, theme customization, and updates for Ghost. Another opportunity is to use an open source strategy to acquire customers. If your target market is developers, then you have to provide a great onboarding experience. This becomes top of funnel for you. And an example of this is Sidekick. Devs install and use Sidekick before they upgrade to Sidekick Pro. You could also look at building tools to leverage open data where we've talked about open code a lot, but there's another side of this that's emerging around open data and you have IC tools, Nansen, and ENS tools, and these tools rely on blockchain data. And unlike social graph data, at least for right now, blockchain data is open. And Nansen recently raised at a $750 million uh, valuation. I don't know how long this open data nature 
of things last because you do have ZK money and Tornado Cash where they make it harder to track transactions. And this may disrupt Nansen features such as smart money where they track prominent wallets or profitable wallets. And if you're using a Tornado Cash or a ZK money to obscure transactions, that could become a lot harder. You could also look at using a dual license model where Mike from Sidekick doesn't get bogged down in providing unscalable consulting services. He has a free option, which tens of thousands of people use and projects use. Then he has premium proprietary code. And we also talked about Mike in the million dollar one person business report, just to show you how much leverage that a monetized open source approach can actually generate for an individual. And the last opportunity that we'll highlight is on paid hosting. One thing to look out for when it comes to paid hosting is looking for the WP buffs method where they provide hosting, but they provide a productized service on top of that. Because if you just look at providing vanilla hosting, now you're competing with AWS, Heroku, DigitalOcean, and these aggregators of sorts are specialized in one-click installs. Your users or potential users probably already have their services hosted and they may want to co-locate servers for faster response times. So if you just have a plain vanilla hosting option, you're going neck and neck or head to head with AWS, Heroku, and these other hosting providers. And that may not fare well for you because they have scale effects uh, and momentum that you simply don't have. We sort of leaned into risks there, but other risks include consulting, where we talked about this earlier, being aware that consulting to monetize an open source project, especially if you're the core maintainer, understanding that that's less scalable than a hosting route or a dual license route. So be aware of the marginal cost there. We also talked about this earlier, but another risk is around possible community backlash. If you move free features into paid tiers, that could lead to backlash. And as we talk about this self-hosting option, if you choose to self-host, you're taking responsibility for keeping that code up to date to avoid exploits. One of the key lessons, where the first key lesson is that users are the real winners from monetized open source. So these companies are not maximizing value capture. These are essentially public goods and these public goods have less lock-in, they're more forkable and that discourages rent-seeking behavior. Another key lesson is that creating value does not automatically mean that you'll be able to capture value. A lot of innovations actually go uncornered, meaning that no one is able to have a monopoly or moat around these innovations. And just a few that I've been thinking about recently is the emergence of two-way rating systems. Airbnb uses this model where the host and the guests rate each other. Uber uses this model where riders and drivers rate each other. And this contributes to the quality of the network. It holds that up, but no one has necessarily cornered that innovation. Another one is looking at proof of stake as a consensus mechanism. No one cornered that market. And another is this idea of airdrops, right? To build liquidity for networks. That's an idea, that's an innovation that was not cornered. And another key lesson that we'll point to is that open source code actually contributes to this idea of the human colossus. That through generations, through lifetimes, we're building on a knowledge base from others and we can gain inspiration and ideas from others. And we can fork and essentially improve these ideas as we go. And this may seem like a soft or trivial idea, but history is full of lost inventions, which we leak to in the report. On the hot takes, where the first hot take is that intellectual property, quote unquote, rights become hard to enforce in this new world. And we saw this with crypto punks who are currently under fire because of inconsistent approach that they've taken in derivatives. But what we've also seen is that it's essentially 
impossible to stop these derivative projects where yes, OpenSea can block them, but they lend more legitimacy and visibility to projects such as CryptoFunks because this powerful stakeholder, this powerful player has deemed you worthy to take action against you. So you see the price of those derivatives actually shoot up as they get banned. Another hot take is that nations will bootstrap on cryptocurrency monetary policies. An early example of this is looking at El Salvador using Bitcoin as a reserve asset, accepting Bitcoin as legal tender. And what we may see, like we saw with the internet, is that new nations may leapfrog fiat, the use of fiat, and rely on internet native stable coins instead. We'll also see wealthy benefactors such as Apple and Meta use open source projects to prop up closed ecosystems and attract technical talent. And with Apple, they do this with Swift, promoting this as an open source effort. And the same applies to Meta with Facebook. The last hot take is that lifetime deals may be a precursor to monetized open source, meaning that when we start to see AppSumo style deals, that could signal that for that form factor, such as scheduling software, this market is maturing to a point that it's ready to be commoditized and or open sourced. On to haters, where the first hater says that monetization pollutes intrinsic motivation of developers. And we can simply ask ourselves, why do top open source projects have a way to donate or sponsor? And the answer is probably that great software requires resources. And we can talk about public goods, but what's also important is this idea of sustainable public goods. And this is why Gitcoin is gaining traction. Another hater says that this sounds idealistic. Very few people are actually contributing to these projects. And that may be true. But that's one side of the equation. The other side of the equation is that the ability to fork and customize code, we talked about this paradox earlier, but the paradox is that the easier that it is to actually fork a project, that makes it less likely that you will need to, to go back to the Oracle example. And when you have this imbalance of power that leads to rent seeking behavior, where Oracle can continually raise prices without providing more value, and you don't have much of an option to leave because the switching costs are so high. And the last hater says that I can make more money with a closed source approach. And in this report, I'm not recommending monetized open source as a hammer, meaning that everything is a nail and this should be applied everywhere. You should think about your mission and think about first principles and ask yourself, what's the best way for us to achieve this mission and then use that model. This wraps it up for report 80 on monetized open source. Thanks for listening and I'm looking forward to your thoughts.